Well, we are uh, concluding our series in First Peter today. It's a, a, a fall series that has taken us through the entire letter of First Peter. And uh, it's been quite a ride, I hope. I, at least I've enjoyed it. Turn that. Uh, throughout the series, I've uh, reminded us of something Martin Luther said about the little letter of First Peter. Uh, you'll remember it if you've caught earlier messages. He said that this little letter will, quote, show you Christ and teach you all that is necessary for you to know about salvation, even if you were to never see or hear any other book. Quite a lofty claim for this short little letter. If you just look from beginning to end in your Bible, it's short. Uh, but the whole gospel is in there, as we've, as we've seen throughout the last eight weeks. Uh, in, in the passage we'll read in just a moment, uh, which is the concluding uh, kind of part of the letter, Peter wraps his letter up with this. I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. That everything he has explained in his letter represents the true grace of God to us. So certainly in 1 Peter we see the whole gospel in summary version. But as we've seen, he was addressing a specific audience. He was writing uh, to convey encouragement to the church in what we know today as Turkey to live against the tide of the Roman culture in which they found themselves. They were suffering because of the cultural conflict that they were experiencing. There was great tension between the prevailing culture and their faith in Jesus, specifically that Jesus was Lord. And as we've, as we've learned, Peter was encouraging them not to retreat from the culture, not to separate themselves from it, uh, but to be in the world, but not of the world. And as a follower of Jesus, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus and have actually tried to do that, you know that's really challenging. Uh, because it's one thing to say it, it's something completely different to do it, to live it in, in the moment-by-moment -moment challenges of everyday life, to, to figure out what to do and how to follow Jesus actively. So that's how Peter was encouraging um, the, the people to whom he was writing, the church to whom he was writing. And he took this approach. He led with that idea of identity. Remember way back at the beginning, he said, first, remember whose you are. If, if there's tension in you because of your faith and what's going on around you. Just remember who's you are. You belong to God. If you're in Christ, you have a new identity. You're a child, a daughter, or a son of God. So remember whose you are. And then he unpacked some case studies. Remember that? How to live well under authority. Uh, specifically in that case, how to live well as a citizen of a nation, right? That might, might not, the tide of the nation might not be going in line with your values as a follower of Jesus. How to live well through injustice, even when we're treated poorly for doing what's right, even when we suffer injustice as Christians, we're still called to follow Jesus' example, as hard as that might be. And how to live well in marriage. Uh, so, so Peter unpacked these things. Uh, all of which, uh, there, there were specifics with all of those. They, they all kind of reflected to some kind of suffering someone might endure for doing what's right as a follower of Jesus. Then after that, uh, uh, Peter uh, kind of reframes all of the suffering that we experience for doing good uh, and, and focuses us on God's power and provision and, and tells us that we ought to adopt the same attitude as Jesus had. So we, we thought about that last week. Pastor Sam helped us think about that. Adopting the attitude of Christ. Not just believing stuff about Jesus, but internally adopting the attitude of Christ. 
So that's what's come before. Now we come to the last portion of the letter, and you can kind of feel that it's a closing section. You'll hear that as we read it. Let's listen to it now. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing. As God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same time, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends her greetings, and so does my son Mark. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. Thank you, Crystal and Tucker. You get the Cheryl family readers today. It's <laughs> a one family show. <laughs> Good job. Uh, so you, you can feel... Uh, the closing nature of these comments, right? Peter is wrapping up his letter, uh, saying some final things he wants to communicate before closing. Uh, and, and specifically, Peter gives instructions to three groups of people, the leaders of the church, the elders, the younger in the church, and then the whole church. And I really believe that the order of those things is important because uh, the church needs good leaders, Right? If you've been around the church for any amount of time, you're probably aware of stories where the church has experienced poor leadership. And nothing will hamstring a church faster than poor leadership or, or arrogant leadership or self-centered leadership. So the very first thing Peter does when he's writing to Christians who are having a hard time in the world, suffering for their faith, he says, hey, elders, hey, church leaders, Make sure you do the right thing and do your part. And this is what he wrote. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, 
but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples of God's flock. He appeals to them, right? One elder to another. An appeal is an earnest request, a, a plea, saying, hey, this is really, really important. Elders of the church, the gospel is true, not just a religious idea, right? Life is hard for followers of Jesus in this world. Here's what your part is, and here's how you should do it. It's the what and the how. The what, be shepherds, be like one who leads and cares, be like one who leads by caring, watch over your flock. That's the what. How should you do it? Not because you must, but because you're willing. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but by being examples. So just think about that for a second. This is all about the heart of a person, the heart of a leader. You know, we, we know that when leadership starts to lean away from willingness to a more kind of begrudging, I have to stance, that's a problem. That's a spiritual problem. When the heart of leadership starts to lean away from the self-giving love so uh, beautifully modeled for us and perfectly modeled for us by Jesus toward self-serving ends, selfish gain, there's a problem. We are off the rails, right? When the heart of leadership starts to use the power of their position over people instead of using it to help and serve and humble themselves, there's a problem. That's not right. And this is just what Peter's saying. The heart of an elder, of a church leader, matters a lot. So, elders, current and past and future, guard your hearts. Right? Guard your hearts. Our leadership is not to look like some of the leadership models of the world. Not all the models of the world are bad. Many of them are based on the way Jesus led. Uh, we, we remember what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 45, right? He said, look, you, you know that the Gentile leaders lord it over the, the people they control, but not so with you. Not so with you. And then he points to his own example. Because the Son of Man came to serve, not to power up. So, addresses the elders. Next, Peter addresses the younger people in the church. Now, I'm not sure uh, exactly who the younger people are. In our congregation here, we keep all of our fifth kids in the, the big service here on the first Sunday of the month because that's the Sunday we celebrate communion, and we want to do that as a whole family unit, not have our kids sequestered off as that happens. So we're all here today, so all of the younger people are here today. I don't know exactly what ages Peter was referring to. Back in that day, the average lifespan was 35 years. But that was only because the infant mortality rate was so high. If somebody was, you know, lived into adulthood, they could expect to live maybe 50 or 55 years. So I would almost be done. Like, it would be, it would be close. Um, but in thinking about what the word younger means, right, I think he's addressing uh, children and students and, and, and young adults, age 
you know, think of bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah in the, in the Jewish tradition, kind of before that becoming a man or, or a woman in the eyes of that culture. So, if, if you're in first grade and you're here, or second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, or, or you're in, in, in middle school, uh, high school, this is for you, right? This, this is saying, be alert that people who are a little bit ahead of you in life in the church have more life experience and perspective and see things you might not see yet. So listen, you know, take, take a humble posture uh, and, and listen to what they're saying. And remember, I hope I'm talking to you now, kids. Uh, you go to church, yeah, but you are the church. It's not like this is your parents' church. This is your church, and you are as much a part of this as any of the rest of us, and we need you. Need you badly, because in not too long, one of you is going to be up here doing this, and some of you are going to be sitting down here as elders about ready to serve communion. You will be leading the church. So this really matters, like what's, what's happening in our body. Uh, I love the fact that through the decades, Fifth now has almost 140 years under her belt, right? Throughout those four, almost 14 decades, it seems that the Lord has been pleased to use this congregation to raise up all sorts of leaders for vocational mission and ministry kinds of things. I don't know exactly why that is or what's going on there, but if you look at the number of people who have emerged out of this congregation who have become pastors or missionaries, it's pretty overwhelming. God's doing something in our midst, sometimes despite our efforts, really, uh, but my expectation is that some of the students here today will end up as pastors or full-time mission, will be called to vocational ministry. All of us are called to vocational ministry in a sense, right? Because our vocation is every bit of calling from God. So being a pastor or missionary is no better than being anything else. But the church needs leaders. So if you're a student or a child here today, would you think about that and pray about that? God might be calling you to that. And we need you to think and pray about that because the church really does need leaders. Then Peter gives instructions to the whole church. And they were good words for the church back then. They're good good words for us now. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your fellow believers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And we take a pretty simple approach to sermons around here. Just what does the text say? What does it mean? And how might we apply it? Because at the end of the day, it's not about what the pastor or the preaching person says. It's about what the text says. What does the Bible actually say? It tells us to clothe ourselves with humility. 
Now, in, in the ancient world to which Peter was writing, that had a particular significance, especially in the Roman culture in which they lived. Because in Roman culture, what a person wore telegraphed to the world their social status. And, and I mean, the, the same is kind of true today, but back then it was very stark and, and very distinct. So the way a person was clothed was speaking a message. It was showing the world uh, what you valued, who you were, that, all that kind of thing. And so what Peter says here is, you know that whole system with all the fancy clothes and all that bit? Yeah, ditch that entirely. Instead, clothe yourselves with humility. You know humility? Uh, being upfront with the fact we're not right all the time. Uh, being gracious with others when they make a mistake because we know that we're prone to mistakes too. You know that? Seemingly largely lost in our culture. Clothe yourselves with humility so that when others look at you, that's the first thing they see. Your clothing. Let humility be what others see first when they look at you, not pride of position. Then there's one verse telling us to cast our anxieties on God because he cares for you. Now, there's a whole sermon to be preached about that one verse. There's a whole theological worldview in that one verse. Cast your anxieties on God because he cares for you. Now, we all live in West Michigan, and I think there's something in this verse that counters some of the undertones of what, give me some liberty here, please, I'll call West Michigan churchianity. Uh, and it, so here's the real life, right? Uh, we've been talking about living against the tide. Uh, and I've said living against the tide of culture. I, I don't want you to understand that to mean that there's one mysterious culture out there that we have to kind of grade against. We need to be alert of all of the subcultures in which we're living the smaller groups of which we're a part. Um, I'll just say it out loud, political parties, right? Have their own subcultures. Uh, different groups and organizations have their own cultures. And as Christians, we're called to always be evaluating the uh, unspoken but very real messaging that's coming through those cultures. And then we compare that to this and then we act as reformed people, meaning we are reformed and always reforming according to this, the word of God, not what we see happening in the subcultures around us. <clears throat> so sometimes I've picked up, since I've moved to West Michigan 14 years ago, I think there can be a view of God, uh, this is the West Michigan churchianity thing, right, where we believe in Jesus, like really, we believe in Jesus, and our, our functioning theology really is that God has forgiven us, but that God is kind of angry. And the, the visual model is of kind of a heavenly father up in heaven, arms crossed, tapping his foot, looking down, 
thinking, hey, I've already forgiven you for the stuff you do. Why do you keep screwing it up? Are you ever going to get it right? And the internal dialogue, yours and mine, is just populated by, man, you're such a screw-up. Are you ever going to get this? And, and those are all voices of world, flesh, and devil, not of Jesus. The voice of the Lord might bring conviction, but it will never bring condemnation. That's how you distinguish the internal dialogue at a very basic level. Right? See, the, the worldview of the Bible, according to this verse, is that God cares for you. That God knows every small anxiety you're experiencing, we're experiencing, and invites us to cast those things upon him because he cares for you. Are you in touch right now with the reality that God cares for you? Our understanding is that when a person comes to faith in Jesus, and we're, we're all working it out along the way, I get that, but there is some kind of initial move where we, where we transition from a place of trusting in what we're doing for ourselves spiritually, ultimately to trusting in what Jesus has done for us. And there's, there's no magical prayer that makes that jump. It, it's just a transfer of trust. That's what the Bible's talking about when it talks about saving faith. And when we when we make that, that kind of jump, our understanding is that we can hear the words that God spoke over Jesus at his baptism as words that God speaks over us now because we're now in Christ. We're trusting in what Christ has done for us. And what God said over Jesus at his, at his baptism, if you're less familiar with the Bible, there's a story where John the Baptist, um, Jesus asked John the Baptist to baptize him and John the Baptist resisted at first, but Jesus said, hey, no, we have to do this. So then he agreed, and then he baptized Jesus. And when Jesus came up out of the water, uh, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. I take that to mean a dove kind of came down, and they saw that. And, and then they, they all heard a voice that said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And if we're in the place of trusting in what Jesus has done for us rather than what we're doing for ourselves, we can hear those words that God spoke over Jesus as words that God speaks over us right now. Not because of what we've done, but because we're trusting Christ and what he has done for us. This is my daughter. This is my son whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. So follower of Jesus, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, how in touch are you right now with the reality that God cares for you and is pleased with you? What a different way to live under the assurance of God's care and the uh, kind of perpetual gaze that, that God is pleased with you, looking upon you with pleasure, love, right? Whole worldview, cast your anxieties upon God because he cares for you. And we're called to actively uh, resist and be alert to temptation. That was that part about be alert and of sober mind. 
And again, if you're a follower of Christ, you, you, we know this, right? We know our brokenness. We know our proclivities. We know the darkness within. It's not that we haven't already been forgiven once and for all and been made righteous because of what Jesus did. We have been if we're in Christ. This is about the sanctification process. This is about becoming more and more like Jesus. And it's the daily grind. It's the, it's the reality that every moment, every second, you've got to be alert. You have to be sober-minded, not pie-in-the-sky-minded, right? Sober-minded, understanding that temptations are real. And if not uh, 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 cut off at the pass, diverted, have the capacity to make a train wreck out of our lives. That is real. And we need to be on alert. Because, said Peter, right, our, our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. This is real. Uh, re- remember the Cain and Abel story. Remember what God said to Cain? Uh, Sin desires to have you. Sin desires to have you. But you, you have to resist it. So we're called to be alert to these things. So those are the final instructions Peter leaves us. To the elders, guard your hearts, serve like Jesus, watch over the church. To the younger, submit yourselves to the elders, understanding their life experience helps them see some things that you don't see yet. So listen, be wise, and be humble. And then to the whole church, live humbly. Right? Trust in God's care. Participate in what God is doing in your life and stop resisting it. Engage it. Then Peter gives us an overarching perspective for life in the next couple verses. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. It's perspective, right? Eternal glory versus temporal suffering. I mean, ultimately, this is a Christian's perspective on life. And, and let's not hear what Peter is not saying. I mean, he's not saying that the suffering doesn't matter. It does, it hurts, it's hard, it's bad. He's just saying, this will only last for a season. This is forever. And when you compare forever to a little slice of time, any mathematicians in the room? this reduces to almost nothingness, right? Again, it doesn't mean the suffering doesn't matter. It, it does. We have to walk with each other. In it. it doesn't mean that injustice doesn't matter. It does matter. And Christians are called to work for a more just and secure world for everyone. All Peter is doing here is telling the truth that eternity is real. And our life here ultimately is but a breath. You ever, you ever had an experience or, I don't know, kind of a spiritual moment of clarity where that has become very tangible to you, like in your heart? I, I started having these kinds of experiences when I was serving the church in Des Moines. So I started back there, oh, what was it, like the year 2000, I think. And I, as was my Sunday custom, I'd go to church. We had three services, so I always went home exhausted after a Sunday morning. And then I'd make an omelet and some cinnamon rolls. Yeah, I know. Um, and then I'd take a big nap. It was perfect. In my lazy boy, and, which we still have. Um, so one, one of those afternoons, I woke up from my nap with 
just searingly stark clarity that I was going to die. I mean, powerful. It was like, it was like I was going to die the next moment. And I had this internal awareness without a shadow of a doubt in just a brief few moments, I will be gone. And it weirded me out. I mean, I was scared. It felt really odd. And then the next week, it happened again. And it happened again. And again. And again. And it happened to me this week. I wasn't taking a nap, but I woke up in the morning with this piercing clarity that I will be gone in just a few moments. Somewhere back in my time in Des Moines, I moved from being very weirded out by that, wondering, like, is this, is the devil messing with me? Like, what is this? <laughs> to understanding that as a gift from the Lord. A, a gift bursting the illusion by which many of us live most of the time that we'll be around forever. That death to this life, yeah, we, we know it in our heads, but we don't really camp out there very long. We kick the ball down the field, don't we? Because we don't want to think about that. Maybe that's Peter's point here. Let's keep the end in mind and hold fast to God's promise of restoration because he does say that. Look at the text. After you've suffered a little while, God himself will restore you and make you strong. And then, and then the final instruction uh, Peter gives to the church, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Back to the Luther quote, all you need to know about salvation is found in this little book. Uh, the gospel is the true grace of God. Friends, we live in a world where a resurrection has happened. That's not just a spiritual or religious claim. The claim is historical. And there's no getting around the reality that if that actually happened historically, this is the most important message for everyone everywhere, no matter what we happen to think right now. Maybe you feel like you've got your mind around that basic concept, maybe not. Maybe you think it's the most ridiculous claim you've ever heard. I, I, I don't know. Either way, let's be clear, that is the claim of the Bible. That's why we're here as a congregation. We believe that it did happen, and we believe that that, that, that is the most important news for everyone everywhere. And, and the true grace of God is revealed in the message of Jesus, known as the gospel. Look at these three verses, just kind of unpacking what the gospel is. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Now, now righteousness of God, that doesn't just mean that God is perfect and awesome and, and amazing, all, all of which is true of God. What this is talking about is right relationship. So for in the gospel, the, the right relationship edness of God is revealed. I'm taking some liberties there, I know. But that, we're talking about relationship. Look at this next passage on the, on the screen now. This righteousness, this right relationship with God is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So the whole gospel is about God calling us back into a right relationship with himself because of what Jesus has done for us. And in that sense, receiving uh, Jesus as your savior, acknowledging your need for help in this world is really the most important thing. It's kind of raising the white flag and saying, hey, I can't figure this out on my own. Uh, it, it's laying down all of our efforts to, to prove that we're not that bad or, or that we can figure this out on, on our own to make ourselves right with God. The, all, all that... Uh, you know, well-meaning Christians intend when they talk about receiving Jesus, accepting Jesus in your heart, trusting Christ, receiving Christ, we're talking about a transfer of trust from whatever you've been trusting previously to trusting solidly in what God has done for us in Jesus Christ on the cross. That's what we're talking about. When we, and our part is we have to submit, we have to relent, we have to ask. And when we do, we don't just get forgiveness for the past and end up with that begrudging heavenly father up there tapping his foot like, well, I hope you get it right in the future because of all the good stuff I did for you already. We get a now and forever perfectly restored relationship with God that no one anywhere can touch. Untouchable. That's a pretty good deal. I mean, that's what those verses mean about the righteousness of God being revealed. It's a righteousness from God for us so that we can live freely in a relationship with God now and forever. So if you haven't done that, I encourage you to do that. Just simply yield, submit. You know, ask, ask God to help you. Ask God to pour out his spirit on you. Turn away from everything you know to be wrong and turn toward God. And when you do that, don't expect something magical. I mean, don't expect lightning bolts from the sky or some kind of crazy spiritual experience. Just do that. Try to transfer your trust to all that you know of Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit. And then start reading your Bible like crazy, like there's hidden treasure in there. And all the while, pray, God, would you help me understand what this means? That was my journey. It worked for me. Um, and I'm thankful that God made it work because God's the one who makes it work ultimately. This is how we come into God's grace the first time. Right? This, this really is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it as you live against the tide of any culture that would divert you from the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to pray for us in a moment, but our, our response time to the word today will be the celebration of communion. Uh, you know, Peter said, remember the true grace of God. What we do here in the celebration of communion is a visual representation of God giving us that, that righteousness, that reconciled relationship in Christ. In the, in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, God kept his end of the deal and we were called upon to keep our end of the deal. But it turns out we can't do that, right? So in the New Covenant, the New Testament, God keeps his end of the deal 
And in Jesus, he sneaks around to our side and keeps our end of the deal for us. So God keeps both ends of the relational deal and we can live in relationship with God in perfect freedom because Jesus has fulfilled our part for us perfectly, finally, and forever. That's what the table is about. So let's respond to God's word today by reflecting on the true grace of God given us in Christ. Pray with me, would you? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this table before us. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you love us, that you care for us, that you're pleased with us when we come into relationship with you and, and you pour all of your forgiveness and grace over us. That's where we want to live, God. We want to live in that kind of freedom, that assurance that our relationship with you is secure and solid, not only so that we can know that and, and be in relationship with you, uh, but join you in the good work of reconciliation that you're doing in this world. God, we're broken people. We know that. Help us in all the ways we're broken. Help us to become more like Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.